Father, my prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. This sermon has many rhetorical questions. Please do not answer out loud. Let me say that again. Please do not answer out loud. The main question is, why are you here? Are you here for the preaching? A lot of people go to church and they say, my pastor is a good preacher. I hope you say that behind my back. He's very knowledgeable. He knows the scriptures. He's got good stories to tell. Some people go to church for the preaching. Some people go for the people. I grew up in that church. The kids I went to now are this big and we're all hanging out together. I love the people at the church. Some people go for the fellowship. They like the donuts and the coffee in the basement after church. They like that the family of God comes together. Some people go because mom made them go when they were little and they have no idea what else to do on a Sunday morning. Some people come for the food. Now, you guys don't make f jokes about food as much as the Methodists do, but the Methodists are like, if somebody has a cover dish, we have to open the church, you know. Some people come out of fear. What will happen if I don't go? Will God punish me? Will he get one of his lightning bolts from heaven and psh, my life? Some people come for the camaraderie. We, we need to band together as the Christians. Some people come for companionship. There are lonely people in this world, and the only time they get to spend quality time with others is at church. Some people come out of guilt. I know that I've done wrong, and I need to go to church and get my sins washed away. Some people out of gratitude. Some people come to church because God has done great things for them, and they need to come and say, thank you. Some people come because it's the Sabbath. I need to take a day off. Some people come because they need their self-esteem raised. I'm part of the family of God. I'm a child of God. I feel better about myself. Some people come because they're spiritually hungry. We used to call them seekers. In fact, they said that you should have two services. You should have one for the seekers, the people who are spiritually hungry, and one for the saved. Some people come out of habit. Some people come because they want to go to heaven. Some people come for the music. Some people come out of tradition. Uh, when I was growing up, we called them Sienese. They came on Christmas and Easter. There you go. Some people come for the teaching or the talent. They come for the, the, the quality of the music. And some people come for worship. The Pew Research Center did a study, and they asked that only Christians would answer the study. And I believe there were over 1,500 people that said, I'm a Christian, and, and I will answer these questions. And I'm sorry to say that the most disturbing answer on the test for me was this. 11%, I want you to hear that, 11% of professed Christians believe salvation through Jesus Christ made them a Christian. Think about that, folks. Nine out of ten people who took the survey and said, I'm a Christian, didn't know that Jesus died for them. So we're going to talk about the pearl, and we're going to talk about the yeast, and we're going to talk about the treasure and the seed, but I think the most important parable in this set is the one at the end. 
There will come a time, God says, when all the fish are gathered together of every kind. And the angels are going to divide. And the good ones get to go in the pot. And the bad ones get thrown away. Why are you here? If you're here for any of those reasons I listed, you should probably go to church next door. Because they don't know that Jesus died for them. They're there for the preaching and the people and the fellowship and the guilt and the habit and the tradition. But we're supposed to be here because we know that Jesus died for us and rose again from the dead. Now what happens when we settle for something that we call Christianity, that list, and we put aside what God defines as a Christian faith. Well, the story's told of a man who was visiting his friend who had just adopted a greyhound. They don't seem to do that too much anymore, but you remember when you used to see people walking around the neighborhood with greyhounds? And the, the uh, myth was you had to keep them on a leash because if you let them go, they would run, which later on they found out was completely bogus. Anyway, so you see these people walking around with retired greyhounds. So, in this story, the greyhound could talk, and the man says, So, I hear you're retired as a greyhound. And the greyhound said, No, I didn't retire. The man said, What? He said, I spent most of my life running around that track chasing that little rabbit. And one day I got so close, I saw that that rabbit was fake. And I quit. If you talk to people who have left the church, they don't say they left because they fell out of love with Jesus. They fell out of love with the pastor or the people or the music or the fellowship or that whole list of things. The question today is why are you here? We prayed the Lord's Prayer. Right? And probably the sentence in there that sticks with me today is this. Thy kingdom come. Now, these words come from the Lord's Prayer. And let me ask you a question. Once again, a rhetorical question. When you pray thy kingdom come, what exactly do you mean by the kingdom? What is it that you want to come? It would seem pretty straightforward and, a, and an easy answer. If the thy refers to God, so then obviously it's God's kingdom we want to come. But do we really understand all that's involved in the coming of the kingdom of God? What would it mean, what would it look like to live in the presence of God? Aren't we already supposed to be doing exactly that? Then why the prayer? My seminary professor, New Testament and uh, New Testament church history, was named Manfred Brauch. He was German. And there is a section of Germany where they have lazy R's. So his name was pronounced Manfred Brauch. And he would preach to us, because sometimes he got going in class, it would turn into a sermon. He would preach to us about the here and not yet realized kingdom of God. Folks, the kingdom of God just doesn't happen when you die. It's supposed to be happening right now. This refers back to last week. This is not the second part 
of hippos and honeybees. But the question is, are you building something or are you consuming something? We are supposed to be different. We covered this a little bit Thursday night. When God set apart the Jews in Israel, he said, I want you to be different. And he commanded it. They were not allowed to wear clothing made out of different uh, material. material. So you couldn't wear cotton and wool. There's no mention of the Bible in polyester. But they looked different because they dressed differently. They ate different foods. They weren't allowed to have dairy and meat at the same time. They weren't allowed to eat bacon. There were, there were foods that they were not allowed to eat. Why? Because God wanted them to look different than the peoples around them. They worshiped differently. If you read your Old Testament, up, up until God separated the Jews and led them into the wilderness, you could worship anywhere. In fact, many families had an altar built in their backyard. And they would go and worship God wherever they were. And God said, no, if you're going to worship me, where did you have to go? It begins with the letter T. It was a big tent. Not yet. Tabernacle. Which is really cool because in the Gospel of John, when it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it's the same word for tabernacle. And the tabernacle was set right in the middle of the camp. And all the people knew that God, metaphorically and realistically, was the center of their life. They worshipped differently. And I want you to hear this. I love this. Judaism and Christianity are really the only two religions built on the topic, of the idea, that sins can be forgiven. You would take your sacrifice to the altar, the priest would sacrifice it to God, and that animal died in place of the... the what's the word I want to use? The penalty for your sin. Which is why Paul could write in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Well, God said, we'll let an animal pay that price for you. And then later on, Jesus paid that price for all of us. Why are you here? Now, I remember back in the olden days, people would go to camp meeting or summer camp or a winter retreat, and they would recommit their life. Do you remember that word? I, I recommitted my life to Jesus. And they would go home on fire, and then they would, we use this word, backslide, right? And their entire Christian life went like this. In fact, we called them roller coaster Christians back in the day. They were looking for a mountain dot faith, not an everyday faith. The Jews were called to be different, and the Christians, that's us, are called to be different, to put the old away. So the story is told of a young lady who fell madly in love, and her husband's name was John. And she and John fell madly in love, and they, they lived in bliss for about 20 years, and John suddenly died. And she didn't want to say goodbye to John, so she had him embalmed in a seated position, put him on a chair in a big glass box right by the front door. And every time she came home, she would say, Hello, John! And she was just glad to have him there with her. 
She had the opportunity to travel Europe, and she went to Europe, and she fell in love with a man in Europe. And it was one of those whirlwind romances, and they fell in love, and they came home. And they walked in the front door, and she said, hi, John. And he said, who is that? She said, oh, that's my ex-husband. He says, well, he doesn't live here anymore. And he went out, and he dug a big hole, and he put John in the hole. Why? Because the old has to be put away. Too many of us are having a tug of war with God. A friend of mine, uh, Freddie Cintrone, likes to tell this joke. He tells it far too much. I hope I haven't told it to you too many times. He says, do you know the problem with the living sacrifice? Because Paul writes in Romans, brothers and sisters, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And Freddie says the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. And that's what we do. We say, Lord, I lay down my life for you, and then we take it back. It's a constant tug of war with God. And Jesus says, no, you have to give it all. Make no mistake. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And if you're talking to people and they say, well, this is hell, <laughs> they ain't seen nothing yet. In fact, Jesus talked about money and hell more than anything else. He wanted to know that we do need to be saved and we need to be saved from eternal damnation. Would you rather go to heaven and spend eternity worshiping with your brothers and sisters or would you rather go to eternal damnation? I don't think it's that hard of a question, but make no mistake. There is a heaven and there is a hell. You also need to know that every one of us who has ever committed a sin, according to scriptures, has a guaranteed destination, and that's hell. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and anyone who sins has a ticket for hell. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says, you don't have to go to hell. I have reserved a place for you in heaven. But you have to enter into a relationship with me. How does Jesus do that? Jesus paid the price. In the Old Testament, an animal was sacrificed for your sin. In the New Testament, the perfect Son of God, His only begotten, His anointed perfect Son, was sacrificed for our behalf. For all eternity. Jesus is the way because he paid the price. Jesus is the door to heaven. I want you to hear that. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of money you can give to the church. There's no amount of orphans you can help. There's no amount of covered dishes you can cook. There's no amount of anything you can do. In fact, I heard Bill Heibel say this, and I love this. He said, think of it as a scale of zero to 100. He says, Somebody says, well, what about Mother Teresa? He said, well, Mother Teresa sinned, so we'll give her a 95. And he said, well, what about Charlie Manson? He says, well, he gets a zero, right? But there's nobody on the earth that ever scores a hundred except for Jesus. Jesus is the door to heaven. Now, I want to go back and talk about those other parables. I've spent most of my time on the fourth parable, but let's go back and look at the others. The kingdom of God 
is supposed to be here. We are supposed to be building the kingdom of God right now. What does that mean? The kingdom of God grows. My church growth teacher in seminary said there's only two kinds of churches. Quickly growing or slowly dying. He said, don't let people say, well, we're slowly growing or slowly dying. He said, there's only the two. You're either dying or you're growing. Are people coming to hear the gospel? Are people getting saved? Are you building faithful Christians? Then you are a growing church. If people aren't coming and getting saved, if you're not building spiritual Christians, faithful members of the body of Christ, then your church is destined to die. We need to grow. That's the first parable, the mustard seed, the little seed. God plants it in each of our hearts, and then it's our job to help it grow. The kingdom of God needs to grow. The second one was the yeast. Now, Vicki and I, you know, have a bread machine. We love our bread machine, and I have to say, this only ever happened once, and once it happens, you will never forget it. I like cinnamon raisin bread. Love cinnamon raisin bread. I love to wake up in the morning because you can set this thing to cook all night long and it'll be done around 7 in the morning and it'll keep it warm until 7.30 and you wake up and your entire house smells like cinnamon raisin bread. It is a little, a little bit of heaven. I hope I have a bread machine in my mansion in heaven right next to my refrigerator full of Coca-Cola and my grand piano. So... I put all the stuff in, because Vicky doesn't use the bread machine too much. It's my bailiwick. I put all the stuff in, and we go to bed, and we wake up the next morning, and <gasps> the house smells like cinnamon raisin bread. Except I forgot to put in the yeast. We had cinnamon raisin unleavened bread. So instead of it being about this big, it was this big. And you could have hammered nails with it. It was thick and it was dense. And that's what God says. The kingdom of God is like yeast. It's supposed to make us blossom. It's supposed to make us become more than we could ever be on our own. We have to grow. We have to influence our yeast. We become the yeast for the world. We're supposed to influence the world. The world isn't supposed to influence us. I remember having arguments with the teenagers in my church back in the 90s as to whether or not they were allowed to wear baseball caps in church. I had strong opinions. They had strong opinions. But you see, do you, people of a certain age, do you remember if you wore a baseball cap in the wrong place, any grown-up could come over and go, take that off. Now some grown-up goes over and says, take that off. The kids and their parents are like, who are you to talk to me like that? The world is leavening the church. We're doing it backwards. We need to leaven the world. There are things that are, are happening today that shouldn't even be discussed according to the Bible. We are supposed to influence our world. The third one, God blesses us. God blesses us. There's a treasure hidden. And if we find that treasure, true life in Jesus Christ, God blesses us. I am a happier, stronger, more confident person because I have a relationship with Jesus. Now, do you know how a pearl gets made? It is an irritant. 
Have you ever met people that are irritants? Have you ever met organizations that are irritants? And that irritant gets inside the pearl and it bothers the pearl until the pearl begins to cover it and make it beautiful. If we are sinners, and we all are, we are irritants to the maker of this universe. God cannot abide sin. And what does he say? I will take that irritant and I will make it beautiful. And I will wrap my love and my forgiveness around it until you and the kingdom of God are beautiful. And finally, we're back to where we started. What does God say? You cannot ignore the choice. You cannot ignore the question, why are you here? I believe that Jesus is my Lord and personal Savior. And I make that decision every day. It's not a one and done. It's not a lottery ticket you scratch off, you say, I won. I don't have to do anything else. Why? Remember, the kingdom has to grow. I, as a believer, am actively building the kingdom. I'm not a hippo. I'm a honeybee. That's why I'm going to go sweat with another group of teenagers at work camp out in, in uh, Schwanksville, Pennsylvania. Why? Because we are called to build the kingdom. And I, as a kingdom builder, am looking forward to eternity with Jesus. I know that the net has been cast. I know that we've all been caught in that net. And I know that there will become a reckoning. And I want to be reckoned with the saved. If you have never made a decision for Christ, today is the day. Glennie is one of our deacons. Lenny's the head of trustees. Pastor Wiki is our associate pastor. Danny is the head of the advisory board. Anita is the head of Christian Ed. Any one of those people, including myself, would love to talk to you about what it means to give your life to Jesus. If you've already given your life to Jesus, but you're not a kingdom builder, you're still a hippo, and you want to be a honeybee, that same group of people would love to pray with you and help you find a way to invest your talents in the kingdom. Now, I have to tell you that I started off asking why are you here. I'm here for two reasons. One is because I'm saved, and the other one is I want to worship. And it's hard to worship by yourself. You need to wrap yourself in the community of faith. So when we're back inside and this COVID pandemic is ended, ask God, what are you called to do? Are you called to sing? Are you called to teach? Are you called to serve? Are you called to whatever talent you bring? Because the kingdom of God, like my seminary professor, isn't just up there. It's here too. Amen. Amen.